you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to be opening to the book of Hebrews. Uh, you can pull out a device or you can pull out a hard copy of your Bible if you had that in front of you. Uh, really excited to be starting that new series today on the book of Hebrews. And I'm launching that today. Uh, we should have a, a few journals uh, still left in the foyer unless they were all uh, taken this morning, but it's just a, a tool to help you uh, as we go along this series. And there's coffee mug out there with it as well. Uh, so if you didn't get one of those, uh, please grab one. Once they're, they're gone, uh, they're gone, but you can also order those online. And I think it's a great asset for us, a great tool for us as we, as we journey along here. Um, I, I was reminded that the, the great filmmaker George Lucas uh, talked about note-taking. Uh, that he uh, was also working on in the, in the 70s, not just Star Wars, he was also working on American graffiti. And while he was working on American graffiti, somebody asked him about a particular scene in that movie. And back in those days, this was pre-digital time, they would record scenes and, and they would label them by the particular role that the, the film was on. And then they would also record the, the dialogues and then they record those by the, the number of dialogues that that particular film would have. Uh, so somebody was asking him about this scene in American Graffiti and he said, well, it's on roll two, dialogue two. So in, in his notes, that's what he wrote down. Uh, but he abbreviated it and he said R2, D2. And this is where we get the lovable droid from Star Wars. And so one of one of Lucas's points is that this, this idea of note-taking, this idea of reflection, this idea of journaling, while I know it may not be everybody's cup of tea, does have a tendency to spark creativity. It has a tendency to sometimes we get those light bulb moments in our life. And I want to encourage you to capture uh, some of those along through this series, whether it be through your own personal time of study or whether it be through some of these sermon messages uh, that you're taking notes, that you are reflecting on what you are learning. And if you're new to Homewood, I, I want to just give you a, a brief PSA and let you know that this is a, a practice of ours every year. Uh, this has become a rhythm uh, for us as a church that every year I'll, I'll, I'll just preach through a book of the Bible. And sometimes I'll preach through multiple books, but at least I'll go through one book. And there's a few reasons that I started doing this years ago, and I still believe it's a good practice today. Uh, one, it just keeps us honest. All right, so if we're going through an entire book of the Bible, we're going through an entire letter, it keeps us honest. I hear people say, you know, well, we don't talk about that anymore. We don't talk about this anymore, you know, in, in the church. And one of the things that we do when we walk through an entire letter is that we are not given the luxury of just skipping over things that, that we don't like. Uh, we, we, we hit every part of it. Um, and, and we're not going to talk about things more than the text talks about them. Uh, so it keeps us honest in that regard as well. Uh, so that, that's one of the reasons that I, I love preaching this way. I love just walking through a, a text with us. Um, but, but aside from that, I also believe that this is, is how letters are intended to be read. Uh, now, this is hard for us. This is hard because we've been conditioned to not pay attention to anything that's more than 140 characters. So if you receive a letter, like a Christmas letter or something, and it's a couple pages, most of you are not reading that whole thing. You're just like, all right, that's great. 
we, we've been conditioned to these short little sound bites, you know, so 140 characters uh, or, you know, a brief email. You know, if you get an email that goes on and on and on and on, you, you, you just scroll through it and you move on typically. So this is hard for us because the Hebrew writer is going to say in Hebrews chapter 13 at the end, you know what he's going to say? He said, I've written you this short letter. And you know how long it takes to read the, the book of Hebrews? For the average reader, about 45 minutes. So how many of you would agree that 45 minutes is a short letter? It's just, you know, it's, it's no big deal. All right? So, so we have to kind of train ourselves. We have to discipline ourselves to read the text as it was intended to be read. So a little spoiler uh, when your Bibles were written, when the, the text was, was transcribed onto scrolls and otherwise, there were not chapters, there were not verses there. And this has created a problem for us. So, you know, I, 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 I love chapters and verses when I'm preaching because I can call it out and you can look it up and we can, we can move along and we don't have to sit here for a long time. Well, one of the things, one of the dangers of that is that it causes us to look at the text in a way that it wasn't intended to be looked at. Sometimes it causes us to look at the text like some kind of an IRS code, section two, verse 23, and then we're gonna, we're gonna legalize this particular part of it. And so we don't see it in context. We see it in, in legal form. We see it in forms that it was never intended to be seen. So when we walk through an entire letter, I'm gonna encourage you, I'm gonna challenge you to read through the entire letter sometime this week, the letter to the Hebrews. And I'm not saying it's going to be easy. I'm, I, it may get you out of your comfort zone. It may mean you have to miss that show on Netflix. It may mean that you have to, to miss that, that whatever. But, but I want to encourage you to, to see it in its fullness, to see it in its context. So that may be you, you open it up and you read it for yourself. It may be that you, you listen to it. This is one of the beauties of technology that we have today. You can open an app on your phone and you can press play and it will, it will play the reading for you. And that may help keep you on track a little bit to have somebody reading it to you rather than, than you having to read. But however you choose to do it, I, I want to encourage us as a faith family that we commit to, to going through this text together, that you're not just leaning upon what I say every week, but that you're getting in the text yourself and that you're reading it in context. Um, there's close to 5,000 words in the letter to the Hebrews. Uh, words, not characters. Uh, so that's tens of thousands of characters uh, that, that you're going to have to read. Now, it's not the longest book in the Bible by any means. You know, Genesis and, and Jeremiah are the top two. They have over 30,000 words. But, but this is a, a manageable, digestible letter for us to read. And I just want you to think about this. If you were to receive a letter from a loved one, my guess is... If you hadn't seen that person in a long time, particularly, if you didn't know what was all going on in your life, there wasn't social media posts that happened that you can kind of follow along with people. My guess is you would take time to sit down and to read, maybe reread what that person had written. And I would encourage us to do that. G.K. Chesterton, Chesterton told his friends that he said, I'm sorry for the long letter. I didn't have time to write a short one. What does that mean? Well, it means that there were some things that needed to be said. And so for, for me to, to take the time to give it to you in sound bites is not going to be effective 
I need to give you everything. So why am I challenging us to do this? Because I believe this is how it was originally written. Uh, and that's a lot of the pragmatics that kind of help us engage the text more faithfully. But I want to move beyond pragmatics uh, because the, the Word of God is not just uh, this, this textbook to be studied. Uh, it's also a spirit-filled, God-breathed Word that transcends generations of time. And I believe that Hebrews has something to say to this generation. To us in 2022, that this letter has something to say. Now, we don't know who wrote this book. A lot of times when we start uh, the study of a book, you know, we'll do a little bit of background context. Who wrote it? Who were they writing to? This kind of helps us discern some of the, the background information and the, and the meaning behind it. But we don't know who wrote the letter to the Hebrews. Uh, some say Paul. I mean, that's kind of the Bible class answer, right? Who wrote it? Uh, Paul? Yeah, that's, I mean, you got a good chance of getting it right if you guess Paul, you know, in the New Testament in particular, but we don't know if it was Paul. Some say Apollos. Some say Bar, uh, Barabbas. We don't, we don't know who wrote this book. Um, but what we do know is that the author of Hebrews had his eyes fixed on Jesus. This is what we know. Because this is how he starts the letter. Uh, we don't know the specific audience. The earliest manuscripts, all they say is two Hebrews. That's all it says. And so we don't know if this was a single congregation of Hebrew Christians living somewhere in the Roman world. Or whether it was a broader sense of people, we just don't know. But another thing that we do figure out and that we do find is that Christians are starting to drift. The Hebrew writer tells us this. Chapter 2, verse 1. We must pay the most careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard so that we do not drift away. The King James Version says, uh, so we don't slip away. Now, here's something that you, you probably don't know about me. And this is only going to uh, hit a small portion of the folks that are listening to my voice. Um, but I'm the fourth best Mario Kart player in our house. <laughs> Out of a family of five, I'm, I'm the fourth best. Um, that's because one of our family members doesn't play. And I will uh, let you guess who that family member uh, might be. Uh, but one of the things that I'm, I'm learning as I'm playing with my, my kids is I'm learning to get better. I like to, I like to choose Yoshi, the character. And one of the things that I'm learning is that in order to stay on the track, in order to stay on the, the path, that you hit this certain button when you go around a curve and it allows you to drift. And in drifting, you don't leave the track. You actually get to stay on the track and you get to keep journeying forward uh, uh, during the race. And so you have all these characters, they're racing, you, you go around this curve, you, you hit this button, you start to drift. Why am I telling you this? Who would have thought Mario Kart would have come up in a sermon? The reason that I'm telling you this is that when you drift, you keep your eyes fixed on Jesus, and even in times of drifting, you remain on the path. And this is what I believe one of the things that the Hebrew writer is trying to get across to us, and one of the reasons I believe that this letter has so much impact for us today. So how's the author gonna help those who are drifting? 
So some are, are drifting a bit back to Judaism. Some are likely drifting because of persecution. Uh, Willie in his prayer this morning talked about persecution that's, that's happening around the world today, and it's sad, it's tragic, it's, it's, it's things that, that just break our hearts when we, when we see pictures of these things. But persecution is a, is a real deal in, in several parts of the world, and, and it causes you to question, okay, what, why am I doing what I'm doing? You know, is it really worth it? Is, is this really, you know, what I, I want to be doing? And so how's the author going to help those who are drifting? He's going to help those who are drifting by pointing them to the superiority of Jesus. This is how he's going to help. And this is more, this goes beyond, and I want you to catch this. This goes beyond just the, the Sunday school answer. Because a lot of us have been trained to give the Sunday school answer to things. It's like the little girl who was in Sunday school class and the teacher asked, okay, now what, what's furry and has four legs and climbs trees and looks for nuts? And the little girl raises her hand and said, I'm pretty sure it's a squirrel, but I'm going to go with Jesus. All right. <laughs> because she knows that, that, that that's the, the right answer most of the time. And this, this is more than just the, the Sunday school answer for our lives, and in particular in the context of the Christians that the Hebrew writer is writing to. Look how he begins. He begins with the answer. A lot of letters in your New Testament begin with a problem. The Hebrew writer begins with the answer and then works from there. Look in Hebrews chapter 1, starting in verse 1. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things. And through him also he made the universe. The son is the radiance of God's glory. Was anybody awake when we were singing that song, Glory, a moment ago, your glory? The radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. What a beautiful pick this morning, Kevin, to start us off. Majesty. And this is some of the most beautifully written Greek in all of the New Testament. And when you think of some of the the, the beautiful architecture of Greek that is formed in our New Testaments. You go to places like Philippians chapter 2. The Christ hymn. God did not, uh, Christ did not consider equality with God something to be exploited, something to be grasped, but he made himself nothing. You go to Colossians chapter 1, verse 15 through 20, and you just read, and, and even in the English, there's kind of this cadence and this rhythm to it that, that just kind of stops you in your tracks, Hebrews 1 is right up there. Hebrews 1, 1 through 3. And so the writer begins with the answer. And then from here on out, the author is going to make the case of the superiority of Jesus. And so you'll see on the screen just this brief outline, chapters 1 and 2. He's going to say Jesus is greater than the angels. We think about, okay, well, how does that really resonate with our context? We're going to talk about that. 
Chapters 3 and 4, Jesus is greater than Moses. Chapters 5 through 7, Jesus is greater than priest. Chapters 8 through 10, Jesus is greater than sacrifices. And we look at these things because there's a lot of language here from the Old Testament, and we're like, well, how does that, how does that resonate with, with what we're going through right now? Why do we need to understand the Old Testament in order to understand the New Testament? How do they, how do they bridge together, and what does that mean? I thought, you know, we, we have all these kind of questions. Here's how author Ron Rhodes says it. He says, the epistle to the Hebrews reigns unchallenged as the best New Testament commentary on the Old Testament and its relationship to Jesus. It makes clear that the sacrifices and the other priestly activities were but shadows pointing forward to Christ, the once for all sacrifice for sin, the true priest, the one mediator between God and mankind. Indeed, Hebrews may be considered a grand portrait of Christ with the Old Testament as its background. Now, for some of us to hear that, like I mentioned, we don't exactly uh, resonate with those, those pictures that are being painted in the letter to the Hebrews. Jesus being greater than angels, or Jesus being greater than Moses, or Jesus being greater than priests, or Jesus being greater than sacrifices. As we go through the series, we're going to talk about that some, but, but one of the things I wanted to help us think about today is that what you may need to hear is that Jesus is greater than something in your life. You may need to hear that Jesus is greater than your job. You may need to hear that Jesus is greater than your health. You may need to hear that Jesus is greater than your pride. He's greater than your money. He's greater than your failures. He's greater than your relationships. You may need to hear that Jesus is greater than any event that has occurred in your life. He's greater than your pain. He's greater than your loneliness. He's greater than your religious activity. Jesus is greater than your intellect. He's greater than your failures. He's greater than your successes. Jesus is greater than, and somebody needs to hear that this morning. He's greater than your cancer. Jesus is greater than your children not obeying. Jesus is greater than. And so what is it in our lives that we need to be reminded of that Jesus is greater than? Anything that we put above the supremacy of Christ will increase our propensity to drift from the truth found only in Christ. And here's one of our daily temptations. And I don't say this just to you, I say this to me as well because this is a daily temptation that we face. Our daily temptation is that since the garden, humans have tried to hide. And what the pandemic has done is the pandemic has strengthened our ability to hide. So one of the greatest tools that the enemy uses to perpetuate isolation and fear and our need for control and our sin is to convince us to hide. I mean, this was almost instinctual in the Genesis account in the garden. Nobody told Adam and Eve to go and hide. This is, this is the human condition. And so the, the Hebrew writer is going to give us these five warnings throughout this letter. And each one of these warnings is going to be something that we need to pay attention to. And you'll, so you'll see the, the, the textual references to each of these. 
but you're going to see the, the danger of drifting, as we've already talked about. We're going to talk about the, the danger of doubting. We're going to talk about the danger of deformity. And this is due to immaturity. Let's, let's leave elementary teachings and go on to maturity, the Hebrew writer is going to say. We're going to talk about the danger of despising and then the danger of denying. So I'm, I'm just kind of giving you the, the broad overview of, of where we're going over the next several weeks. This is going to be about a 12-week series, and so we're going to be camped out here for a little while. But I just want to, I want to give you, I want to kind of serve you the, the menu before we give you the meal so that you see what's coming. And these are some of the warnings that, that the writer is going to address. In his new book, Undistracted, author Bob Goff says that sometimes we're so busy looking up and looking forward, trying to figure out the next moves in our lives or looking backward at all the places we've been, that we don't look down and figure out where we actually are. So I hope what we're going to be invited into these next few weeks is just take an examination of, of where we are. It's where we are individually, where we are as a family, but where we are as a faith family. Has there been drift? Is, is, are we drifting? Is, is there, you know, wh- where do we go from here? You know, but, but let's take some honest stock of where we are right now instead of trying to hide and convince ourselves that it'll all just go away. Throughout this series, the text is going to ask some tough questions of us. And I don't say that to scare us this morning. I'm, I'm not up here trying to, to, to frighten you. But the, the text is going to ask some honest questions of us. If we will allow the text to read us. I'm, I've challenged you to read the text. I also want us to be challenged to let the text read us a little bit. And so once we figure out where we are, once we're real and we open ourselves to being honest about where we are, once we come out of hiding and step into the light then we can receive God's good discipline in chapter 12. Like a good surgeon, God offers corrections so that we may share in his holiness. Hebrews 12, 11, no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. I want to give us uh, four anchors that we're going to find through this series. And I encourage you, if, if you're doing the note-taking thing that we talked about earlier, I, I want you to hone in on, on these, these anchors that we're going to find. The first one is, is that in Jesus that we, we have found God's very word. That the word became flesh and it dwelt among us. And that if we want to, if we want to know who God is If we want to see who God is, then we look to the radiance of the sun. That in Jesus, we found God's very word. In Jesus, we have hope for the new creation. Something that's going to come out of our study these next few weeks. In Jesus, we have an eternal priest, not just a temporary one. In Jesus, we have the perfect sacrifice. So these are some of the anchors that are going to inform our time together in the book of Hebrews. 
God had for a long time been sending advanced sketches of himself to his people, but now he's given us his exact portrait. So though we don't know who the author of this letter was, we know something even more important about him. That right from the start, he kept his eyes fixed on Jesus. And at the end of the letter, he's going to urge you to have your eyes fixed on him too. So my question for us this morning is, who's coming with me? Who's coming with me? As we dive into this text, I hope that you will. So be reading through Hebrews. Be honest with yourself about your drift, if you're drifting, and be maturing in Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Let's go to God in prayer this morning. Father, we're thankful for this letter, this gift that the, the writer tells us is, is short. And God, we, we pray that we will see the, the spirit-infused divine message uh, that you have given to us through this letter. We realize that it was written in the context centuries ago, but we're praying for you to do that which we can't manufacture, and that's for you to take your living word and transcend it into our lives this very day. That we'll be challenged, that we'll be encouraged, that we'll be able to spur one another along uh, as we walk through this text. God, I pray that we will be doing this in spirit and truth. I pray that in unity we will be uh, moving forward together as we search the scriptures daily as the Bereans did. God, I thank you for this church. God, I pray for a reminder for anyone that needs to hear right now that Jesus is greater than something. Uh, Father, I, just, I pray that you'll speak a word for those that need to, to be reminded that Jesus is, is greater than a failure, that Jesus is greater than, than shame. Uh, for those who are experiencing anxiety or, or depression, for those that are walking through um, just difficult times right now. God, I, I just pray that you will speak a word of hope. I speak, speak a word of encouragement. Father, help us to realize that we have been given the body of Christ uh, for, for our, our teaching and for our usefulness and for, for just it to be our surrounding hope, God, that we, we know that we, we can lean upon one another. And I just pray today that we'll do that. God, we just take 10 seconds to be still and to know that you are God. And God, we thank you that the sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being sustaining all things by his powerful word. And after he had pure, provided purification for sin, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty of heaven. God, we put our hope and our trust and our faith 
and the risen Lord whom we look to today. It's in his name we pray. Amen. If you have a need this morning, we'll have a shepherd down front. Also have a shepherd spouse back here in this room if you'd like to go for prayer. Or today's the day that you'd like to be baptized into Christ and name Jesus as Lord. We'd love to celebrate that with you if you'll come as we stand and sing.